Now, I don't want to get your hopes up, and I don't want to get you excited, but I think we come today to the first command in the letter. I think today Paul gets to the point of what he's asking Philemon to do. Um, Just to fill in a little bit of background, just in case you're hazy and you're here for the first time, um, Philemon is a guy who lives in Colossae. He had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus ran away, met Paul, became a Christian, and Paul is sending him back. That's basically the backstory. I'm going to read from verses 12 to 17. We're focusing on verses 15 to 17, and look out for the command. It's taken Paul this long to get to it. Here we go. Verse 12. I am sending him, that's this runaway slave Onesimus, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. There it is. There's the big command. This is what Paul has been building up to all the way through this little letter. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to welcome him. When Onesimus, this runaway bad slave, when he gets back Philemon, I want you to welcome him. Now just take, let's just take that idea of welcome for a second. Welcome is a fantastic gospel word. In fact, if you wanted to sum up the story of the Bible, you could do worse than talk about it as being the message of a welcome. Does anyone have a doormat outside their house that says welcome on it? Excellent. Um, Because I had a friend who used to get really annoyed by doormats that said welcome on them. Because he used to think that that devalued the welcome that you received as you came to the house. Because he says, well, if you're just going to say welcome to everybody, surely there are some people who are not welcome at your door. He didn't have much of a life. That was the sort of thing he got upset, got upset about. I once knocked on a door. I was, I was, it was a church in Enfield. I was knocking on some doors, just telling people about what we were doing. I knocked on this door, and the lady opened the door. And honestly, she opened the door, and she went, you're 15 minutes early, and slammed the door. I was like, it was the most bizarre response I've ever had to door to door. And then she opened the door and went, I'm sorry, I thought you were someone else. <laughs> I don't, know if you, I don't know if there are welcomes that stand out in your mind. I remember in Uganda, I, I was in Uganda um, just for a couple of weeks visiting my parents a little while ago. I, I don't think I've ever experienced a welcome like in Uganda. Uh, we went to this little village, into this hut, and they gave us food. And you could tell how much it cost them. And they took us out for a walk, and it started hammering it down with rain. They said, let's just go in this house. And we said, well, whose house is it? They said, we don't know. But we just go in because it's raining. And we all piled into this person's house and they pulled out chairs and we all sat down until it stopped raining. And you just think, wow, this is a cool culture. I wonder what, I wonder what welcome means to you. Let me tell you this, okay? 
At the heart of the Bible, there is a welcome unlike any other welcome. And it kind of lies behind the welcome that Philemon has to give Onesimus. Before Philemon can welcome Onesimus, it, it kind of rests on a bigger welcome. There were once some people who pointed the finger at Jesus. They were, they were kind of grumbling at him. And they went, this was their accusation, right? They pointed at him and they said, this man welcomes sinners. That was what they accused Jesus of. And you know what? They were absolutely right. Jesus welcomes sinners. That's what he does. He welcomes people who don't deserve to be welcomed. At the heart of the Bible stands this welcome. Here is the God who created the universe. Here are we. We are sinners who have turned away from him. He sends his son to welcome us back. That is the gospel. That is what the Bible is about. God welcomes sinners. And it cost them a huge amount, you know. In order to welcome us back, Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross, nailed to a wooden cross in order to say, welcome home, paying for our sin. I don't know if you noticed, I, I might be conscious of this because of something I listened to earlier. But lots of our songs that we've sung today say things like, um, I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. It doesn't fit very well with our culture, does it? Our culture says, no, no, we're lovely people. I was listening to a a, a really um, well-known preacher who would call himself a Christian, who was preaching a message. I was listening to it online this morning, and he said... Human beings are not sinful. Human beings are are good in their essence. Do you see see that, that, that changes things? You see, when someone comes to my door who is lovely, of course I welcome them. Welcome. Nice to see you. But what about the person who comes to my door who isn't so lovely, who isn't so attractive? And that's how God welcomes people. He welcomes the undeserving. So I want you to know this afternoon, before we go any further, before we look at Philemon welcoming Onesimus, I want you to know, first of all, that God is willing to welcome you. And you may sit there thinking, but I'm really bad. I've done lots of stuff that's wrong. Here's the good news. Jesus, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners. The only thing that you need in order to qualify for a welcome from Jesus is to be a sinner. If you're not a sinner, if you are perfect, if you, have, if you, if you think you've never done anything wrong, then probably Jesus won't welcome you. But everybody else, Jesus welcomes. He welcomes sinners. He told his most famous story probably one of his most famous stories, to make this point. The story of the son who ran away from his father, ended up feeding pigs in a pigsty, starving hungry, thinks, what should I do? I'm going to go home. Here's the father. Here's the son. Here's the son walking home thinking, my dad's going to kill me, but I've got no other hope. Here's the son. Here's the father running towards him. The son goes, man, he's really angry. He wants to kill me so much. He's running to do it. He's running, 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 and bang, he's smashed with a welcome. Welcome, son, my precious son. That's the gospel. 
It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. Jesus stands with his arms open and says, I welcome you. So welcome is a key gospel idea. And it stands behind what Paul is going to ask Philemon to do. So my first obvious question before we even get into all this stuff is, have you been welcomed by Jesus? Do you know that? Have you ever come running to Jesus saying, I'm in trouble, Jesus, but the bloke at church said you'd welcome me, so I've come. Have you ever been welcomed by Jesus? That's where it starts. None of the rest of what I say is going to make any sense to you at all if you don't first know the welcome that Jesus gives you. But once we experience that welcome, and for many of us that's true, right? For many of us that is our experience. We've come to Jesus and been welcomed by him. Once that's true, it makes a massive difference to our lives, and it must make a difference. And it's on that basis that Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to welcome Onesimus home. Welcome him. And we've got three uh, verses, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17. I've got three points, one for each verse, about how it's possible for Philemon to welcome Onesimus. Here's the first thing. Welcome him by looking for what God is doing. Right, look for what God is doing. Have a look down with me at verse 15 again. Perhaps the reason that he was separated you from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Now think about it. Come on, look. It does take a bit of brain work. We've got to engage our minds with this. What is Paul asking Philemon to do there? What's he saying? I think he's asking him to re-examine his experience. Right? Imagine you said to Philemon, right, Philemon, let's go out for coffee. Tell me about everything that's happened. He would be able to tell you what Onesimus had done. Yes, let me tell you about Onesimus. Do you know how much I cared for him? I provided for him. He had a good job. He had everything he needed in my house. It was a good place to work. And then that scumbag ran off. Perhaps he nicked some stuff. We don't know exactly what happened. No doubt there had been disappointment, heartache, betrayal, frustration, injustice, social humiliation. There was a list of stuff, right? And my guess is Philemon, even if he didn't have an actual notebook, he probably had a mental notebook with all of Onesimus' stuff that he'd done wrong written in it. And Paul says, can we just look from a different angle? What's he asking him to do in verse 15? Philemon, come on, let's look again at what you've experienced. And this is where it gets risky. It starts with the word perhaps. Perhaps? Philemon, can I, can I gently ask you to think? Perhaps, maybe? The reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Perhaps there's something bigger going on, Philemon, than you first thought. Now, what Paul is doing here is he is pushing Philemon to think about something which often gets called the doctrine of providence. The doctrine of providence. That is, that behind all things that happen in the universe, everything, behind everything, God 
supremely rules and is in control. That all things, and by all things, I mean all things, are under his control. And Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, perhaps what you've experienced actually has a bigger purpose than you ever realized. Will you look for what God is doing? Um, just, to, just to help you get to grips with this idea of providence, because this is really important, and, and it is so helpful for us as, as God's people to get hold of who God is and what he's like, because we get this wrong all the time. And even if we say we believe it, we show we don't really believe it by the way we then live. The classic example of this uh, in the Bible is in, is in Genesis, the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph and his brothers. Joseph has 11 brothers. He's the favorite one. Um, and basically, they all hate him, and they, they chuck him in a big pit. And he gets sold into slavery. He has a miserable time. He's really, really badly sinned against, right? And he's got his little notebook of things that, yes, Reuben, he did this, and Simeon, and Levi, and Nathan, and Iskarash, and they did all of them, bad, black mark, black mark, black mark. Anyway, Joseph's in prison. He's in prison for two years. He's done really injustice and all sorts of, he's lied about and blah, blah, blah. Eventually, he gets taken out of prison. He gets given this really important job. Through God, he is used to save loads and loads of lives. And then he meets his brothers again. And they're kind of a bit scared when they meet him. Because <laughs> you would be, right? This was the guy you threw in a pit. And now he's like really super powerful. And it was okay when the dad was alive, but then once the dad is dead, the brothers come and say, look, now we're, look, please be kind to us. Listen to what Joseph says. And you may well know these verses well, but listen to them again. Don't be afraid, Joseph said. Am I in the place of God? This is the statement of providence, okay? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm, God intended it for good. Those two things are both true. Were the brothers seeking to do evil? Yes, I can hear you shouting. Yes, they were intending to do evil. They wanted to do harm. They are guilty and responsible. Does that mean that God was out of control? No, because God was intending it for good. That's providence. That God is able to take even the sinful actions of humanity and in, through those actions work out his good intentions for humanity. Now this is a, this is a big... Doc, now, okay, let me just spell this out. What this does, this does not mean... Uh, this is not the kind of every cloud has a silver lining... You know, it's been a really, really bad time. But at least this nice thing happened. No, that's not what the providence means. It also doesn't mean, and this is, I think, where we go wrong. It doesn't mean, oh, look, people have done all this really bad stuff, but God's got a really clever way of taking what they've done and kind of reworking it and making it look good. No, it's not that either. God always is intending to do good, to do his purpose. Even when humanity is doing its absolute worst, God is working out his purpose. 
Now, I know that's true, because what is the most wicked, evil, sinful thing humanity has ever done? They took the very Son of God, they nailed him to a cross, and they said, we're going to kill the Son of God. The most wicked thing humanity could have done. What were they doing? They were simply doing what God had planned beforehand would happen in order to save humanity. Do you, do you see? That's, this is providence. That God is working his purposes out, even in the most painful, hurtful, difficult situations. So let's take that back to Philemon. This is what Paul is pushing Philemon to think about. Perhaps, Philemon, think about it. God is intending something really good through the thing that you have suffered. Now, I hope that this is an encouragement. I get, I get that this raises questions. But let me just say this as, as gently as I can. But it does mean this. Behind all that happens in our lives does not stand the blind forces of nature or fate. But behind all that happens, the suffering and the good, behind all of it, stands the loving and good intentions of a father. If you are his child through Jesus, he loves you and he is working for your good, even in the most painful things that we experience. So perhaps, Philemon, the reason that you went through that painful time, the heartbreak and anguish of Onesimus running away, perhaps you went through that, that you might experience something more. That you might be pushed further and taken deeper than you ever imagined before. Now look, that doesn't mean that when suffering comes, we... uh, just look on the bright side and smile and say, it doesn't matter. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Of course it hurts. It's painful. It doesn't mean that painful experiences don't cause us to weep. But in the midst of all of that, we need to hear God's providence. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for your good. And that's why Paul can say, it isn't meaningless what you've suffered, Philemon. It isn't meaningless. There's a reason behind it. Things do not happen by accident. Listen to these, um, these words of an old hymn, which I think express it amazingly. O fearful saints, new courage take. The clouds that now you dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. Listen to this. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Yes, there's bitterness, Philemon, in what you've experienced. But there's a greater sweetness in what you're going to experience because of the bitterness. And you see that there's a temporary versus permanent thing happening? Suffering, pain, weeping is a temporary thing. So look what he says. The reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. 
God's suffering that he brings into our lives, his good intention for us, the suffering is only ever temporary and is achieving an eternal glory. So Paul is pushing Philemon. Perhaps Philemon, there is more here. So look for what God is doing. And I I want to encourage you in in the situations that we face, the hard things that we face. Let me me just be honest with you. This is where I struggle to understand. I, I, I believe this, but I struggle to really live it. As soon as I hit a traffic jam. I'm like, oh, for goodness sake, it's so annoying. Why do I have to be traffic jam? Do I believe that's a trivial example? We struggle to find a venue or something goes wrong with a venue or this happens or that happens. I get so angry and frustrated and stressed and anxious and worried. And I was actually saying, Lord, this is really hard. This is really hard. And we to trust you. God takes us through painful experiences in order that we might taste the sweetness of the flower. Here's the second thing. Okay, this thing to a a bit shorter because that was a lot of stuff. Here's the second thing. Um, If you're going to welcome, you've got to fly in the face of society. Um, Have a look at what he says next. So perhaps the reason that he was separated from you was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, um, I got quite excited about this because one of the things that bothered me slightly about Philemon was, why doesn't Paul ever write a book on the abolition of slavery? Why? Because it just seems to me that there's a lot of slavery stuff and there are a lot of people who think, you know, you've got guys like Will, William Wilberforce who dedicate their lives to the abolition of slavery. Paul just doesn't seem to, he just doesn't seem that bothered. Why? I think it's because what Paul is doing is he's saying the gospel is where it starts. In the home, there is something so radical that happens as the gospel takes hold that it flows from there outwards into society. So I think here, Paul is calling Philemon to to the abolition of slavery in his home. He's saying, you take Onesimus back not as a slave, as a brother. And Paul says it starts in a community, a radical community. Slavery in the days of... um, when Paul was writing, it was very different to the African slave trade of, of William Wilberforce's day anyway. It was very much the, the economy. It's how many, many of the jobs worked. But even so, what Paul is saying is this community, this gospel love community, that's where you see the radical transforming power of the gospel, which guys like William Wilberforce will then have the opportunity to transform a whole society. But let's, let's just have a look at what he's saying. If, if Paul had said to Philemon, look, can you take Onesimus back and give him his old job back? Would that have been gracious? Right? Onesimus deserves death. He's, he's guilty, right? He deserves to be punished. If Paul, 
<coughs> sorry. <coughs> if Paul had said, give him his job back, then that would have been gracious. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, don't give him his job back. You welcome him as a brother. That's not what society would have said. Society would have said, don't take him back. And if you do, make him the worst slave ever. No, Paul says you welcome him as a brother. I reckon brother would have been one of Paul's favourite words. Do you know why? When Paul first met Jesus, when Paul first became a Christian, do you know the first word he heard after he'd met Jesus? Just listen to this. Don't worry about turning to it, but you can check it later. In Acts... um, Acts chapter 9, where Paul meets Jesus for the first time. A man called Ananias is sent to him. Right, Paul hates Christians. He's killing Christians. He meets Jesus. Then a man called Ananias is sent. And he goes, Jesus says to him, you need to go and talk to this man, Paul. And Ananias says, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Jesus says, you need to go anyway. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said... Brother, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. The very first word that Paul heard as a brand new Christian was brother. Someone who could see what God was doing. Someone who flew in the face of society. And now Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to use that word. I want you to welcome him back as a brother. As a dear brother. It's so difficult to to, to explain to you how utterly unthinkable that was in the society. We live in a culture where we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed. So I had to write it down. I'm sorry I don't know. I'm really sorry. I apologize. I don't know off by heart. I know I should. That they are endowed. This is the... uh, something American, uh, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. It's the Declaration of Independence. We, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That wasn't true in Philemon's day. They did not hold those truths as self-evident. Men were not created equal. There's a huge difference between masters and slaves. And now Paul is saying, I want to fly in the face of society. I want to welcome him back as a brother. It is so countercultural. And I want you to welcome him back. Look, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So it's not just welcome him back because he's a Christian. No, his dignity has been restored as a man. Equal dignity as a man. The gospel restores our dignity as human beings. Sin destroys us as hum- human beings. Sin makes us subhuman, less than human. The gospel restores us to our true dignity as human beings. Onesimus, by running away, has become subhuman. He's become less than what he was supposed to be. As he returns, as he's met by Jesus and welcomed by Jesus, he regains his dignity. And Philemon says, I want to treat him as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Can I say this is so important for us? This is so important for us to understand. 
that we are to be a community who treat each other differently to how the world treats one another. It should start with this community. As we fly in the face of society, as we're willing to be different, as we're willing for our work colleagues to go, why do you act like that? You're so weird. Can you imagine Philemon down the local fish and chip shop <laughs> going, and they're going to him, someone told me that Onesimus is back. Yeah, that's right. And someone told me that you, you welcomed him as a brother. Yeah, that's right. You're weird, mate. If people don't think we're a little bit weird in the way we treat one another, then we're no different to society. We should welcome people in such an extraordinary way that society notices. One final thing. Verse 17. Um, We'll welcome people as we treat people as if they were... Well, look what it says in verse 17. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him... As you would welcome me. Paul says, I want you to imagine now not Onesimus coming, but me coming. And I want you to treat Onesimus like you would treat me. Do you see, that's quite a, that's quite a striking thing for Paul to say. You see, we hold these truths as self-evident that all men are created equal and everyone's equally valuable. But we don't believe that. We don't act like that. There are people who, if they walked in through that door now, we would be, we'd be like, wow, look who it is. <laughs> Quick, we need to make sure that we welcome them really carefully and we look after them. And other people who walk in and we don't even notice. We claim that we think we're of equal dignity, but we don't act like it. There are people whose opinions I value much more than other people's. There are people who are more important to me than others. And Paul says, I want you to treat Philemon, uh, Onesimus as if it were me. I find that really challenging. To think, who are the people who would walk in that door now? And we would be just all over them. Jesus pushed this even further. Because Jesus said that when you serve one of his little ones, you are serving him. So actually, we should treat people as if they were Jesus. Treat people as if they are Jesus. It's in Matthew 25. Jesus says to some people, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. They said, when did, you ever, when did we ever see you hungry? And he said, when you fed one of the little ones of mine, You did it for me. And I think it would help if we treated one another as if we were Jesus, as if the other person was Jesus. To see that, let's face it, if Jesus were to walk in the door now, my guess is that we would care what he thought. Although perhaps we wouldn't even recognize him. So let's pull this together and let's, and let's, um, let's wrap this up. Um, Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to welcome him back. We will only welcome people. We will only accept and welcome people as we look to see what God is doing. We see his providence taking us through painful situations, perhaps through friction in relationships, perhaps through difficulties, 
Look for what God is doing. Be willing to fly in the face of society and then treat people as if they were perhaps even Jesus himself. I wonder if we're willing to be that radical a community. Why don't we pray together and then we're going to sing as we apply this stuff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank, we thank you first and foremost that you're the God who welcomes sinners. That you sent your son to die on a cross so that you might welcome us. That you have paid for our sin. That you have set us free. Father, thank you that you welcome us. And we pray that here in the heart of this city, this city which is teeming with life, teeming with people, Father, please would we be a countercultural community. Please would we be a group of people who treat one another with this sort of extraordinary gospel love. Whereas hard things happen, we see what you're doing. We don't just give up, but we see what you're doing. And we persevere with one another. And we welcome one and we treat each other as equal and as brothers and sisters. As we treat one another as if they were Jesus himself. Father, please help us, we pray. Would we confess we struggle. We confess how often we treat one another as different in value. Father, please might we humble ourselves and welcome one another in Jesus' name. Amen.